Well, I have a very deep conviction about what gets preached here at CTK. And uh, I believe it's my responsibility as the lead pastor here to bring fresh bread each and every week to take a scripture and to open it up as far as what's going on, not only in my life, but in the life of Christ the King. So I'm going to do something that I've only done one other time in six years of preaching. And that is I'm going to footnote my whole message and give credit where credit is due. Pastor John Ortberg from Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite preachers. And he so influenced everything that I'm going to talk about today that if I don't give him credit, it would be, it would just be a travesty. And so if you like what you hear today, you can thank Jesus for John Ortberg and for him inspiring me this, this week. And I just want to make sure credit goes where credit belongs. I've got a particular disdain for the winter months in Whatcom County. Many of you just made an assumption about what it is that I don't like about winter in the Pacific Northwest. Some of you assume that I'm talking about rain. And if that was your assumption, actually, you're wrong. I like rain. It, it, it soothes my troubled mind. It allows me to go to sleep at night. I love taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon when it's raining. So I have no problem with rain at all. Now, I'm thinking of something else. I've shared here before that I'm kind of borderline OCD, that I love order and cleanliness some of you call that a sickness. I call it the way things should be, all right? What drives me crazy in the winter months are the raspberry fields. If you're a raspberry farmer, please don't send me, please don't send me a letter. I know there's a reason for you leaving your fields in such disarray for some months, but it just drives me crazy. Have you ever seen a raspberry field after the fall harvest? I mean, there's stalks sticking up all over the place and there's weeds on the ground and everything is just not the way that it should be. And it drives me crazy because I drive past them row after row, field after field of disorder and things sticking out. And the raspberry fields know that I am bugged because I can hear way off in the distance in their little raspberry voice as I drive past going... Do you need me to do that again so I can translate that? Okay. Roseanne's doing great, all right? And I love that day. It usually happens late January, early February when I see people starting to work out in the fields and they tie them down and they bring order to the fields. In fact, to me, they look like candy canes, right? Beautiful row after row after row of order, just the way that it should be. My issue with the, can, with the fields is this. I don't like deterioration. I think all of us struggle with deterioration. There's a fancy word for, for deterioration. It's called entropy. In fact, I put that definition in your outline. Entropy is the natural tendency that everything has to deteriorate. If you've ever cleaned your house on a Friday, then woke up Saturday morning and wondered what hurricane hit your home in that 24-hour period, you've experienced entropy. If you've ever bought a brand new car, driven off the lot and realized you just lost several thousand dollars in value by traveling less than two blocks, you've experienced entropy. If you've ever been a kid who lived for summer vacation because it was going to be just this perfect thing. And two weeks into July, you're standing by your mother or father going, I am so bored. You've experienced entropy. If you've ever seen the television show, Life After People, that's a show all about entropy and deterioration. I mean, what happens when you neglect the relationships that God has given you? They tend to deteriorate, don't they? 
What happens to your family when you neglect it? It just tends to, to break apart, sometimes very quickly. What happens when you allow your finances just to kind of do their own thing? They deteriorate, don't they? What happens when you neglect your character? It just tends to crumble and fall apart. Now, why am I talking about deterioration? Well, I'm talking about it because we all tend to get used to deterioration. We learn to live with it and we find that if we don't find a way to put it in check, it can rob huge portions of our soul. We've been talking about work over the last couple of weeks. And when you think about it, work is really about keeping deterioration and entropy in check. In Proverbs 24, we find a guy who runs into deterioration firsthand. Proverbs 24 says this, starting at verse 30. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of a man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Some of you recognize that last little section from the message last week. Because we saw another portion of scripture that had that conclusion at the end of it. Because the writer of Proverbs says this at least a couple of times, I think it means it's a really big deal. If you're going to understand this piece of scripture, you've got to understand the value of a vineyard in Middle Eastern culture. When it came to assets, a vineyard, a piece of ground that could produce a crop, it was the most valuable asset that a human being could actually have. To have a vineyard was to have an opportunity of a lifetime. This is where we come in. See, when you were born, God gave you a vineyard. Every single one of you has one. You got a life and you were given a shot to make it count. You got a body, you got a brain with which you're supposed to think, you got a will to live, and then God gave you some relationships right from the get-go. You were given some time, don't know how much, It's up to God. You were given some resources. You were given an opportunity to work at your life. And then God planted a soul right in the middle of all of those things and said, I want you to make the most of this opportunity. And here's the scary thought. You only get one shot to work in your vineyard called life. One shot, that's it. Here's another scary thought. If you neglect the vineyard of your life and just leave it alone, it will deteriorate all by itself. If you don't provide care and action inside of that vineyard, I guarantee it will fall apart on you all by itself. The writer of Proverbs is bugged. He walks past a vineyard, a golden opportunity, and what he doesn't see is beauty and care and meticulous action. No, he sees neglect. He doesn't see the result of hard work. In fact, he, I'll go so far as to say he sees sin. And when he sees sin, I see a question. And the question is this, what sins do we see in the condition of the vineyard? The first sin that we actually see from, comes from another proverb, from chapters earlier, but it so applies to what we're going to talk about this morning. We have to look at it. Before the vineyard is even on the horizon, the, pro, the writer of Proverbs points out the sin of denial. The sin of denial. The first heartbreaking truth this guy sees is that somebody is neglecting the opportunity that God has given them. Somewhere, lying in the shade of the vineyard, swinging back and forth in the hammock, pretending that everything is fine, is the guy who should be working in the vineyard. 
Instead of doing what he should be doing, he's off chasing off something else that really he thinks is important. He's in denial about the state of his own reality. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 11 says this, he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. This proverb contains a very simple truth about the importance of living in reality. You ever met somebody that's just devoid of reality? I mean, they, th- they think life's just easy. You don't have to pay your dues. You know, they think songs just get written. They think airplanes just happen to fly. They think, th- they think that milk is in cartons because of some cosmic alignment that just happened, you know? They think that, that if they just lie in one place long enough and, and think really, really hard, that someday they're going to come up with a way of, of, of making a million dollars because they're going to invent a brand new juice machine that everybody's going to want. I had insomnia the other night, three infomercials in a row, all selling juicers. What is up with that? It's the same machine with a different name attached to it. Three in a, three hours. Who's up at 3 a.m. buying a juicer? I have no idea. That's a twisted thought. And this guy just, he thinks, I'm a, someday, somebody's going to need another one of these things. You know, what they don't realize is Songs are written out of pain, joy, and skill. Flight is actually the product of engineering and physics. Milk is inside of a carton because somebody figured out how to take it out of the cow and put it inside of the carton. What they don't realize is the world doesn't need another juicer. Right? We kind of laugh about them and we think it's funny, but the truth is we all have fantasies, don't we? The perfect life, the perfect marriage, the perfect career the perfect whatever, and we forget that we also have a reality and the truth that before you can go and dream about that other stuff, you need to work inside of the reality that you have right now. Here's the truth. You should start in your own vineyard. You got to start with your own body, your own soul, your own mind, your relationships, and you've got to work on them because if you don't, if you neglect to work on them, they will deteriorate and you will lose your opportunity for life. What other sins do we see beside the sin of denial? We see the sin of sloth. Chapter 24, verse 30, little statement. I went past the field of the sluggard. How did he know the field belonged to the sluggard? I'll tell you how he knew. It was obvious. It was obvious. Didn't take a rocket scientist to see that somebody was missing out on their opportunity. I went past Mount Baker, Mount Baker Vineyards the other day. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Somebody that I couldn't see is working very, very hard. The fruit of their labor can be seen from the road. I mean, it's just so obvious. Friends, if you don't get anything else this morning, please take this with you. God will never force you to work inside of the vineyard of your life. He'll ask you to work on it. He'll even help you if you invite him into the process. But ultimately, you are responsible. So let's just do that for a second. Take a look at your life right now. What do you see? Is meticulous care and action obvious to everyone that would look from the outside? If you're a follower of Jesus, by the condition of your life, could somebody just look at your life and go, wow, okay, that person's figured out that that vineyard doesn't belong to them. That belongs to the God who created it. But look at the work they're doing. Is your life overgrown with drama and trauma? Is it broken? Is it broken so much that if you were to stand in the middle of the vineyard of your life right now, you'd have no idea where to start and how you're supposed to put it back together again? 
Now, before you get embarrassed and ashamed, if you're in a place today and honestly you have an honest moment and the vineyard of your life is broken and in disrepair and it's overgrown with all kinds of stuff, Jesus says this to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you 17 steps in order to fix your life from today's forward. Is that what Scripture says? I'll give you a list of things that you need to do in order to jump through the hoops to get my approval and then we'll start sorting this thing out. Is that what it says? No. It says, come to me, all you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. You come and rest with me and then together we'll go and put this vineyard the way it should be. Here's the third sin. It's the sin of ignorance. That little statement that we just talked about continues on. It says, I went past the vineyard of a man who lacks judgment. The guy who owns the vineyard is guilty of the sin of omission. I've talked about this lots here before. Two kinds of sin. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Sins of commission are the ones that we willingly enter into. We know we're breaking God's law. We just decide we're going to go and do it anyway. And it's a sin. Second kind of sin are the sins of omission. Those are sins where we know we're supposed to go and do something. We just decide not to. We just decide to go the other direction. Scripture says to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, that's sin. It's as simple as that. And we see that here in this particular little proverb. We find a guy who knew he was responsible for the vineyard, but he chose to do nothing. He knows that he should go out and weed, but that's just too hard. He knows he should protect his family his future. He knows he should rebuild the wall, but that just sounds too difficult. He knows that he should attack the thistles in his world, but instead he just decides he's going to live with them. We do the same thing, don't we? We know our marriage needs some attention, but um, nah, it'll work itself out over time. We know we need to make something right with somebody because we, we, we wronged them and we need to go and ask forgiveness, but nah, They'll forget about it eventually. They'll get over it. We know we need to to grab a hold of that particular sin that seems to get us over and over again and rip it out by the roots. But we say to ourselves, nah, I don't want to get a sliver. I'll just leave it there long enough because maybe someday it'll flower and everybody will think it's supposed to be there. Can I tell you something? By choosing to do nothing with the condition of your vineyard, you're choosing to sin according to the holy word of God. You're choosing to neglect willfully. And God says, no, no. Here's the fourth sin. It's the sin of neglect, probably the most heartbreaking one. Bible goes on and says, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I mean, somewhere along the way, the worker in the vineyard decided to just let his standard slip. He forgot that, that he didn't actually own the vineyard, that the vineyard actually belonged to the master gardener himself. He forgot that one day he was going to give an account for the condition of his vineyard. He let down his guard just for a second. And in that second, the seed of sin got planted and it started to grow and it started to flourish. And that's the way it starts, isn't it? It starts with just one innocent, innocent trip to a porn site on the internet. It's not that big of a deal. I can stop. It starts with one unethical decision at work to take some money here or to get some money from underneath of the table and put it in the wrong place. It starts with one quick lustful look. It starts with one self-gratifying fantasy. It starts with one innocent, innocent conversation on Facebook 
with that person from the old high school days that we promised we're never going to go too far with that conversation and they start meeting an emotional need and before we know it, we're making decisions that we know are going to wreck our families. It's one small breach in the wall of protection and pretty soon that wall starts to deteriorate and fall apart and the smallest little bit of pressure makes it crumble and it makes you vulnerable. You know, I believe the greatest area of neglect in our life is in the area of truth. We know what God says and yet we choose to go and do the opposite anyway. We know what God says about a certain issue, but we neglect to apply it. We neglect to obey. We excuse our actions. We claim that we found a loophole. We justify our sin. And then we wonder one day, how in the world did this happen to the vineyard of my life? How? We see a series of small little compromises that allowed something to take root. And before we know it, it's huge. It seems insurmountable. Here's the fifth sin and the last one. It's the sin of small, seemingly insignificant hesitations. Same verses as last week. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Do you notice something about each and every one of those things? It's passive. It's not about action. It's about inaction. I beat this one to death last week, but you know what? I got a new stick, so I'm going to hit it a couple more times. I'll get to it someday. I'll figure that out later on. I can do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into next week, next week into next month, next month into next year. And before you know it, an entire lifetime has passed by. You know, I find myself doing this all of the time. I need to go to the gym. Tomorrow. I need a bowl of ice cream now, right? <laughs> that how it works, right? You know, maybe you're there right with me. I need to get my finances in order, so I'm going to do that in 2012. We need to get God to become more of a priority in our life, so we're going to go to church after we have kids, because after all, we want our kids to know God. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I know I need to read my Bible, and I'm going to do that after I finish the entire Tom Clancy library. Then I'm going to hear what God has to say. We all have excuses. I mean, I find myself doing it. You know, come home after a long day, and I know I should hang out with the kids, but I'm just so tired. I know I should finish that project for Laurel, but, you know, I'm just so cooked after an entire day of doing God's work, right? I come home and I know I've got a commitment to fill, but, but I'm just so exhausted. And then an amazing thing happens. The phone rings and one of my buddies says, you know, hey, Grant, I got tickets to the Mariners game. And suddenly, it's a miracle. I feel good. I'm energized. I'm ready to go. Let's go to Safeco. Let's buy some garlic fries. Let's cheer like wild men for hours and hours and hours so that when we come home at one o'clock in the morning, we can jump back on the excuse train again and go, I'm just so tired. Right? 
We make these small, seemingly insignificant decisions as we sit idle. And as we're sitting idle, the enemy of our souls does his slow work of deteriorating our commitment to the owner of the vineyard. And just in case you don't know, I'll tell you who owns the vineyard of your life. Jesus does. The last couple of verses actually give us the price of sin in the vineyard. Uses some scary words. Uses the word poverty. Poverty. Make no mistake, my friends, he's not talking about a lack of riches. He's talking about a lack of real wealth. Real wealth. He uses the word scarcity. And that's not just about a lack of stuff. It's about a scarcity of purpose that will actually want to make you want to get up in the morning and go and do what God's asked you to do. Ultimately, it's the loss of the opportunity of a lifetime. It's gone. And you can't go backwards. You can't rewind the clock. Max Dupree is the CEO of the Herman Miller Company. He's written a lot of books on leadership. He actually made an exhaustive list of of indicators of how you know whether or not your life is deteriorating right in front of you. I don't have time for the entire list, so I just gave you some in your outline. I'm just going to ask you to do a gut check right now as I read these. People who are deteriorating have a tendency towards superficiality. They keep everything on the surface. People who are deteriorating have unresolved conflict in the key relationships of their life. People who are deteriorating no longer have time for celebration and ritual. They're just too busy. People who are deteriorating have confused celebrities for real heroes. You think about that one for a second. People who are deteriorating have a profound loss of gratitude. They just don't say thank you anymore. They think they're entitled. People who are deteriorating carry with them a vague, chronic sense of guilt every day, every hour. We hear those things and we try to really quickly tidy up a little bit of the vineyard so we feel better, right? Last week I talked about how we're prone to hear about what God has to say about that sluggard guy, and and we qualify him out of our existence. I'm not that guy. I'm not lazy. I work unbelievably hard. We don't believe we're lazy, so we tend to just overlook the weeds popping up in our own vineyard. I mean, we're running so fast to get things done. The truth is we're excelling in some parts of the vineyard. The problem is not with those areas. The problem is with the neglected back corners that nobody sees and nobody ever gets invited into. Let me tell you who that guy is. And I number myself among that guy and those guys. We're the guy who puts on a brave front at work and then tosses and turns all night wondering why we don't feel connected to our family anymore. We're the mom who lives her life in overdrive and then cries herself to sleep because all she wants to do is get off the treadmill that her life has become. We're the couple who have pleasant smiles and dispositions at church and then ride home in silence week after week because the distance between us is just too big to talk about. We're the angry person who can't even remember why in the world we're so angry. We found a way to justify leaving our anger unchecked even though it's growing so fast. We don't even know where where it came from. 
We're the person who means well. We mean so well. But we just seem to get stuck at good intentions day after day, week after week. And we find that our hands have just been idle far too long. Let me close with this. In what part of your vineyard do you need to do some sweat equity this coming week? A friend of mine mentioned that I repeated a fair bit of stuff from last week. You know what I did? Because my question is this. Did what we talked about last week prick your conscience enough for you to actually do something? Or did you just sit idle for seven more days? Seven more days that you can't have back. What area do you, need, do you need to do some work in? Is it the area of your work and commitment? Is it the area of your finances? How about your physical body? How about the renewing of your mind? What about your relationships? What about your soul? Some of us would be prone to get to the end of a message like this and go, oh, man, my life's a mess. There's more weeds than fruit. I can't even see the gate anymore from where I'm at. I mean, I have messed this up. And we picture in our mind God walking past the front of our vineyard and we think in our minds, God must be thinking, what in the world happened to that guy? What a disgrace. What a failure. Can I tell you something? If that's what you think God thinks when he walks past your life, you don't know Jesus at all. Jesus is the eternal optimist. Jesus says, no, don't don't run and hide in the back of the vineyard. Come and open the gate. Invite me in. I'm a master gardener. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Let's work on this together. You think that the thorns of your sin scare me? Are you kidding me? I took a nail. That sliver doesn't scare me. If you will let me, I will grab that sin by the roots and tear it right out of the center of your life. I can do that for you. Jesus says there's forgiveness for the past, hope for the future. We can clean this up but you need to invite me into the process. I mean, if this is where you got on your own, how's that working for you? Do you think maybe there's a better way? Do you think there's somebody possibly stronger than you, more gracious and merciful than you, who can step in and start right in the center and slowly allow the work to press out to the sides. Now, don't think for a second I'm preaching that God's going to do it all for you. No, no, no. I believe God wants us to partner. There's work for us to do. We have responsibility. But God says, you can't do this on your strength. You need to do it with mine. And if you'll trust me with the broken condition of your vineyard, I will help you put this back together. But you need to let me in. You need to let me in. And you need to be willing to work so we can make this little chunk of your life count. I have learned in my own experience that God loves to stop deterioration. He likes to hold entropy in check. He likes to take ashes turn them into something beautiful. 
And he will do that for you today, no matter what the condition of your vineyard is. Christians, followers of Jesus, do you have the courage to invite Jesus into the deep, dark corners of your vineyard? Will you let him attack those weeds that keep springing up over and over and over again? Will you let him cultivate your soul? It's not fun. It's essential. There may be people here today and you never knew that Jesus cared that much about your life. He does. My prayer is today that you'll open the gate of your heart. Allow Jesus to come in. Allow him to prune and pull. Fertilize and water. So that one day when you stand before him, He can look you in the eye and say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Well done. Would you pray with me as we close this morning? God, I confess to you today in front of my friends and my family that my hands are idle far too much. I pray that you would motivate me to do the hard work in the deep, dark corners of my own soul. I thank you, Jesus, that thorns don't scare you. You took a nail for me. So God, I pray that as we walk hand in hand to some of those deep weeds this week, that you would do your good work in me. Father, I pray courage for my brothers and sisters sitting here this morning who may have neglected portions of their vineyard just like I have. I pray courage for them to open the gate to declare your rightful ownership over every square inch of their vineyard and that they would do the hard work of cultivating and weeding this week not on their strength, but on yours. I pray for those who may be here that don't know Jesus today. I pray that they would know there's forgiveness for the past, hope for the future, and that no matter how broken the vineyard may be, that you're a God that redeems and restores. I pray that they would trust you today with their life, that they would invite you in and give you your proper place so you can do your good work in and through them. God, thank you for this morning and this reminder. Thank you for the wise writer of Proverbs who learned the lesson about neglect. May we not be guilty of ignoring the deterioration in our own lives. And for anything good that comes out of it, we give you praise, honor, Glory and worship. As our master gardener, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.